Canucks Central Wednesday. It's Dan Richo and Satyar Shah here in the Kintech studio for another edition of Canucks Central. Dan Richo, Satyar Shah, 650-650 on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. That is how you get in touch with the show. Questions, comments, otherwise, 650-650 on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. The Canucks big-time winners over the Ottawa Senators last night. The good times keep on rolling in uh, 2024 for this Vancouver Canucks team. They get uh, every bounce. They earn every bounce in that first period and uh, cruise the rest of the game after uh, building a 5 nothing lead. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's really a sign of the times when like it, you get to the end of a 6-3 win. For the Vancouver Canucks, and the coach seems perturbed. Yeah, by uh, the uh, by the performance of the team. Champagne problems, <laughs> you know. You win six three, up five nothing after the first, and and you're mildly annoyed about yes. how part of the service went. We lost our staples after the first period. Well, it's like you executed them to perfection to the point where you just bludgeoned the Ottawa yeah. Senators out of the building. And then it was over. And like yeah. I said on the postgame show, it's one of those things where I wasn't too upset about or concerned about how they played the, the final 40 because the game was over after the first. Pretty much, yeah. You know, and yeah, you wish they would have played better and all that. Um, but I, I even take the positive approach and say, hey, a great way to start the road trip, still being a little extra hungry and, and the coach maybe prodding the guys along a bit more. It's uh, nothing uh, bad when you get uh, the two points in the Canucks. You know, sort of a a peek once again into how good they can be when they play at their best, mm-hmm. right? And we've seen it, um, you know, quite a bit, but uh, maybe not as much as you'd like to uh, often enough for those that are really critical of the team. But when they play like that, they're really tough to beat. Yeah. And it's kind of like the Miami Dolphins analogy I've been making for the last couple of days where when they are on like that, there's just a certain caliber of team in the NHL that can't keep up with them. And that's uh, been evident in a lot of their games. So we'll see how they uh, coast into this seven-game roadie that uh, takes over much of January. They'll have to do it a little bit shorthanded. Shed a solitary tear last night as uh, Phil DiGiuseppe left the game in the first period and will be uh, out a while, according to Rick Tockett. I know that was very heartbreaking for you. I know it was very difficult for you to see that. He was just about to cement his place back on that line. Uh, He was. He was. Poor guy. He hoped that he's going to be all right uh, and everything. But uh, what it does is create an opportunity, however. You know, and uh, it's one of those things where Niels Hoaglander has been kind of on the... uh, outskirts of the roster at times yeah you know and looked like maybe he was gonna be healthy scratch and ends up playing uh against ottawa and all that so for him he's the guy that gets the obvious big opportunity again potentially here but it does create an opportunity overall for somebody in the in the organization doesn't it 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 does and you know i think there's a lot of different machinations you can go through with the lines right now and figure out what you want to do there but the thing about it is the Canucks have like a really good thing going right now, right? You know, they're bottom six. You don't really want to move around Bluger, Garland, and Joshua with the way that they've played. So you're taking somebody from that fourth line of Suter, Lafferty, and Hoagloner to potentially fill that spot on the left wing with Miller and Besser. Or maybe it's Linus Carlson, who's just uh, got the call up from the Abbotsford Canucks, who gets a look there in the next little while. That's a possibility as well. But 
I feel like the best option there right now would probably be Pew Suter for me from an internal standpoint. Playing wing or playing center? Playing wing with JT and uh, and Brock. So I, I don't mind trying it, giving, yes. give, giving it a shot. I just don't know if Suter is built to play the role he would have to play. I think he can pull it off. Right. But is that putting him in the best position to, for, to maximize his skill set? Like, he's not a big player, but he's good at forechecking, generally speaking. But to be the first forward in and play that C-level against the wall role, really, a lot. Not not his forte. Yeah, I think he can succeed in it. But is he going to be able to do the other things he's good at, if that's what you're asking him to do? Yeah. I wonder about Might that. Might take him away from some of the things he's done so well. Yeah. So I wonder if, if that doesn't play into his skill set. Now, I'm not advocating for this, but... If you were to play Suter and down the middle mm-hmm. and have Miller on the wing, and Miller can play the F1 role the way he did on the lotto line, and you saw how successful he was doing so, then that would, I think, be a functional trio. I'm just not sure if they want to do that. Right. Yeah, I don't think... Uh, I don't know if you're you're moving Miller right now from... No. From center. I don't so. think they're going to do that, yeah. right? So I don't... At least not now, but... I, I'm sure you can try it with Suter. That's where my hesitation comes in. That's where yeah. my my skepticism comes in in terms of that working, unless you have Suter play down the middle on that line. Is this kind of like the number one priority for the team now as you look ahead to the trade deadline is figuring out sort of this spot on the roster, the, the left wing on the second line? It has to be, no? Yeah. I mean, I'd love to upgrade on one of the, the defensemen. Yeah. For sure. I mean, even with Susie and him being healthy, like, I'd love to upgrade on a Myers, potentially, right? right. Even Zadorov, if we want to get really fine with it. It's just maybe not as likely. And how high a priority is that? It's something you would like to do. Do you have to do it to give yourself a chance? It's like, we're okay here. Like, we can manage with what we have. Yes. But if we really want to get better, this is probably the place we need to most upgrade another top six forward that probably fits with Miller and Besser. It's that first guy on the four check type of role in the yeah. top six. And I mean, you could you could also look at it two ways. You can say, sure, you like to add two. You like to get Kuzmenko going. And then you'd like to get that forward that can four check with like we talked a little bit about yesterday. But, you know, think of a, another Mikheyev mm-hmm. type, you know, but maybe better, obviously. The question is, is there a better player of that type that you can go out and acquire? And the other thing is, do you explore the idea of just adding a skill guy because Kuzmenko has yet to get going? And you put him into Kuzmenko's spot. Yeah. I don't know. I think it's really hard with Kuzmenko right now because the best option, as we've talked about, is for him to just get going. Yeah. But it's hard to trade that player right now. The salary limits what you can do in adding a piece to this roster. So for me, Kuzmenko is just sort of the um, the square peg in a round hole right now on this team. I mean, it's it's funny because he's become the guy who's the awkward fit yes. on the roster all of a sudden, unless he's scoring, right? But so which way does the team go here? Do they view it as two forwards or do they view it as one forward? Because if you're viewing it as two forwards, then all of a sudden we hear the rumors of Jake Gensel, or at least the, I wouldn't say rumors, but it was more, you know, Dahlia was mentioning the, yeah. you know, he could see that happening and all that. And his name has come up, obviously, and, and others have speculated and wondered about Jake Gensel. Does it make sense for Gensel to play that forechecking role or to go and play alongside Pedersen, most likely? Or maybe even play, you know, with, with Miller, but then have somebody else with, with, with him other than Besser, for instance. Probably with Pedersen right now. And, 
the idea of Jake Gensel is just something I'm not really all that into. Why? It just doesn't seem to jive with where this team is headed. Hmm. Unless you are, you know, getting Jake Gensel and giving him the contract. But most of the players that they've acquired, you know, you look at Hronik, very specifically in the mid-20s range, a guy that they could see building through with the next four or five years in mind. Is that what Jake Gensel is? I know he's a great player right now. He's got a great, incredible playoff Mm -hmm. track record. Um, Is that the kind of guy that you want to give an extension to on top of having to give up assets for it's one thing if it's a free agent and you can bring that player in and add to your group without having to spend the assets to get that player but it adds another wrinkle that you would have to give up a first round pick and a decent prospect to get this player and then have to on top of that give them an extension into their mid-30s so it just doesn't seem to fit with the other moves they've made to add to this no it hasn't quite fit with their mo right Um, now they did give JT Miller a contract at the age of 30. Yeah. So it's not like they, they haven't done. Again, didn't have to give up the assets they didn't. on top no, of the contract. No, he was already here. 100%. But they did give him, you know, a contract, right? A lot of their public uh, commentary on this type of subject is we want to add players that fit into our timeline, our window as a team. And I think that's more in the yeah. mid-20s range than it is late-20s, early-30s. Also, how many years do they think a guy like Gensel has left in him, mm-hmm. potentially? So, for me, it doesn't make sense either, in terms of fit, unless you're doing two things. One is you're moving Kuzmenko, yeah, and you're clearing that money, and you're clearing that spot and you're getting some assets back in return. And the other thing you have to do is move Besser in the offseason then. Because, yeah. I mean, the thing is, if you are not extending Besser, mm-hmm. and you're not keeping Kuzmenko, mm-hmm. well, you have to have some top six, top six <laughs> scores. Ideally, you'd like to have younger guys, right? I'm yes. with you, right? And I'm not advocating for this. I'm just ta- talking through how it makes sense, right? It would make sense to some degree if you're moving those guys out, and then you're signing Jake Gensel inst- instead. Now... I don't know if Gensel's a guy I would want to give a long-term contract to either at the age of 30. I'm with you on that. Yeah. But that's the only way I can see it happening. And that is a 3D way of thinking about things, which I do think fits the MO of the team in terms of thinking multiple steps when they make this this type of move. But I don't. if you're exploring that, why not explore a player who already has a longer-term contract that a team might be looking to trade? And maybe you don't have to give quite as much to get and also give a contract out to. So if you are in that market of signing Gensel, perhaps extending Gensel, shouldn't you be looking at some other long-term deals for players around the league anyways? Hey, so what what way of thinking was it? What did I say? You said 3D? Yeah. Okay. So you've been saying this often lately. <laughs> I meant to correct you yesterday. Or like <laughs> 3D call chess? It, call it out it. yesterday. Yeah, 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 you've been saying 3D chess. Right. I think it's 4D chess, is it not? Is it 4D chess? Is it 4D chess? I think chess? it is 4D chess. 3D chess is just like normal chess. <laughs> is it? Okay, <laughs> right? I suppose so. Good point. Good point. Maybe it is 4D chess. I don't know. I'm just saying things. You could be right. <laughs> didn't mean to call you out. I did mean to call you. Yeah. 
4D chess. Well, if it wasn't going to be you, it would probably be somebody on the text box eventually. 4D chess uh, would be the correct order. There we it go. 3D, 4D chess, yes. went over my head as well. Yeah. Leave Not it to paying the attention. to figure it out. No, he's right. Uh, 4D chess. Okay, so so you're you're playing uh, a more complicated game. How about that? Is that better? Yes. That's that great. Better? Is that Let's better? roll it back. Okay, well, we'll just say that then. You're playing Arthur Smith football. Is that... Uh, no, that's, that's the opposite that's of 4D chess. 2D chess. Yes. 2D chess. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to do 2D. You don't want to do 2D. Don't go full 2D. So I think that that kind of does make sense where, okay, if teams are so against acquiring term, does that all of a sudden um, sort of make that market a market inefficiency in, yeah. in a way, right? Where you're acquiring somebody who's got a little bit of term, something that you can stomach. Maybe they're not signed till 2029 or something like that, but maybe a couple of years of term and the price is all of a sudden cheaper and you're getting somebody that fits into this next two, three, four year window for the Canucks. Yeah. And could you actually move somebody off the roster while doing it? Yeah. You know, and I, I don't know if ultimately they do anything along those lines anyways. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because as we talked about, the role that you need somebody to play with JT and Besser right now, if you want to keep those guys together, is to be first on the forecheck. So honestly, like what, what you need is somebody, can you find somebody who is more consistent and a bit better than PDG? Like better Lafferty, essentially. Uh, Frank Vetrano? Yeah, maybe him. Yep. And the price of acquisition is not quite as as big. Got another year left on his deal. 3.6. So, um, it's a little bit more palatable. A guy yeah. who's scored quite a bit this year, but he's also taking a ton of shots. He's, uh, I think, in the top 50 of shots per 60 of, of all forwards that have played at least 100 minutes. So there is something to back up what he is doing as uh, – you know, a 17 goal scorer so far this year after being a guy that's never scored more than 19 in his career. He is uh, finding more shooting opportunities. I think, like, because the more I look at it, Sat, like, I've, I've been scouring through and looking at different teams and looking at different names, and the same names continue to, to pop up over and over again. And, like, there's no real obvious fit. I, I guess like Jake Gensel in a perfect world, you could do it. But when you start to factor in the new contract, you would have to get the assets you'd have yeah. to spend to get that player. Does it really make sense for the way that this team has operated to this point? And two with the way they seemingly don't want to spend their first round draft choice, or is that mindset changing with the way that they've played so far this year and are first in the Pacific division again by points and on points percentage as well. So even the naysayers can't, uh, can't really knock that down. No, I mean, the LA Kings can't be good teams either. Apparently. Yes. They've lost to the Leafs Oilers who have been hot. Yes. And the Vegas golden Knights. Yeah. The past three games. So they're having their struggles themselves. Yep. And, and they're, they're playing a lot more games all of a sudden. They're losing some hockey games. It's funny what, what happens when you play a lot yeah, of good teams all of a sudden. Yeah, when your schedule all of a sudden schedule. really starts to like pack in like four and six nights and all those different types of things. Like good teams also lose hockey games. Yes. That happens. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like I just, there doesn't seem to be a lot of obvious fits for the Vancouver Canucks right now. And of course there's names like Travis Konechny again. Is is, is that a uh, I think I think that, I think that you're it probably try- is, you know, a pipe dream with the way Philadelphia's playing this year. I, I think that's what you're uh I think that's what you're always dreaming of, Dan, yes. is to get Konechny. I just don't think I mean why would Philly trade him at this point? 
Like if they were in a complete rebuild phase, like they expected to be at the start of the year, then maybe. Well, yeah, but I they're think a playoff team right now. It's the off season more than anything else. You yeah. probably look to do that. So that doesn't make a ton of sense. Um, yeah, I just I'm not seeing a lot of guys that really jump out at me and say, "Yeah, that's that's the perfect fit for the Vancouver Canucks." Yeah, and I mean, listen, it's not. And if you start looking at it as okay, you're trying to get a guy and make sure he fits here long term. Then it's difficult to find them. Yeah, you're right. Um, if you look at it as just finding a rental and using a rental, which is something we hadn't really been considering, and we're like, no, no, they're not going to do that. But at what Zdorov point might end up being a a total rental? He very well could be. But also, like as as I mentioned yesterday, the Carolina Hurricanes in 0506. Yeah, they did not expect to be as good as they were and contend no. the way they did. But they were one of the best teams in the league that year. That was uh, Jim Rutherford's Carolina Hurricanes. Yes. Mm-hmm. And what did he do at the deadline? Refresh my memory. He traded for Doug Waite and Mark Recchi as rentals. Interesting. And they just went on to win a Stanley Cup. Yeah. Now, they have Cam Ward get super hot between the pipes, filling in for Grubauer. Or not Grubauer. Uh, uh, Gruber, was his name? Uh, Gerber. Gerber. Martin Gerber. For, yeah. yeah. Gerber. Filling in for Gerber, who got injured, who played poorly. And then yeah. next thing you know, they went on to win a Stanley Cup. And it was like the best year they had. Yep. That core, you could look at and said, well, hey, they have a couple of young guys. They're just starting. Yeah, maybe. And yeah, you're Brendan Moore, a couple of vets, but, you know, Eric Starr is our young center. And he young felt like. Young 100 point center. Like, we're going to build this team around this guy for many, many years. He never have had a better year, Eric no. Stahl, in his career. And, uh, you know, Ray Whitney, guys like that were, were still young at that point. They, they had a good team, uh, but not a team that really stood out as a Stanley Cup winning team. But the Canucks have some of those elements, right? They've got um, Thatcher Demko as their goaltender that could steal you a bunch of series. They really do need um, just that one more really big piece at the top of the lineup, I think, to jump up closer to the Stanley Cup contenders. Would they be there with the Vegases and Colorados? I'm not sure that would take them there, one player, but it would get them a little bit closer, yeah, no doubt. And... The the other hard part about this is they still very much have to move salary off the roster. Like mm-hmm. even in Frank Vetrano is on the uh, lighter side of a salary acquisition, and you start to figure out how they would have to do that. Yeah. You know, you've got to move some kind of a salary off of this team in order to bring something into the team. Well, you if you move, you have to move. Even if moving a Hoaglander may not be enough. Yeah. Like 3.65. Now it depends on who else gets injured and what you can do and, you know, some roster machinations or whatever. But you're looking to actually move some money off the books. Yeah. And that's where it also gets complicated. Like for even for Gensel, like if the Canucks are trying to get him without giving anything up outside of, say, Hoaglander, for instance. Yeah. They have to pay an extra cost to get Pittsburgh to retain. Yeah. Canucks can't get Gensel without having Pittsburgh retain at this point unless they're trading somebody off the roster. Like, are you finding a way to move Kuzmenko as well, potentially? Like, is that what you're doing? Yeah. But if you're not doing those things, like, well, it, it becomes really complicated. Kyle Dubas, well, the Leafs were interested in Connor Garland yeah, at one point when is, Kyle Dubas was, was but the is, GM. But is that going to be the, is that what uh, Dubas is going to take back in return for one of his prized assets at the deadline? It would like, really like have to. Garland's going to be the contract he's taking back? Yeah. Well, because they're in this, um, and Elliot mentioned this on the most recent 32 Thoughts, where 
They're like, hey, we still want to be a playoff team, but also rebuild at the same time. Well, so are they what, taking Garland and your first and prospect as well? Yeah. I mean, would they rather not just take Kuzmenko then and have one more year and see if he can, yeah. pull, you know, maybe find some magic with Crosby Probably, or Malkin? Probably, yeah. Right? Yeah. Find some some magic with uh, Evgeny Malkin. Uh, yeah. Although I don't know if that would necessarily work defensively, but uh, we're not a Pittsburgh Penguins show, so we're not uh, going to really dive into that. Yeah, I mean, Wayne in East Abbey says, uh, great show, thank you. Uh, what about Lawson Krause at about $4 million for three years? Big power forward on JT's line. I love it. I just don't know why Arizona would do that. Yeah, and Arizona's a team that's kind of in playoff territory right now. Same well. same thing. Like, they're playing really well. They're in a playoff spot. Like, what? what it's hard to get players, to, to look at players that teams want to keep and try to acquire them. If you're thinking about Let's say you see a player on Buffalo or Arizona and you're like, oh, I like that player. What are you giving them that is valuable to them in order to take that player away? Like if it's I know Bick has talked about Casey Middlestat quite a bit with uh, with Buffalo and even this Lawson Krauss proposition. I like the players, but Arizona's got prospects for days. They've got draft picks for days. They've got three picks in the second and third round just this year. They've got four picks in the second round next year. They don't need more picks. They don't need more prospects. They need to get better. And so I just, I I don't know what the Canucks would give a team like that in order to acquire one of those players. Like uh, this version, this this era's version of Ballard, Raymond in a second. Yes. <laughs> is uh, Hoaglander, Kuzmenko in a second. Yes. Like what what can Hoaglander, Kuzmenko in a second get for you? <laughs> I mean, I mean probably maybe something probably not what you're hoping for, you know what I mean? Yeah. So this is uh one of the issues uh, the Vancouver Canucks are going to find themselves in. But as it stands right now, it's becoming their number one priority to figure out how they add a top six forward to this team. Yeah. It has to be. Well, and, and I think it is in in many ways, right? And I think that's some of the things we've heard too, that they, they you know, whether it was Dreger mentioning this, others have kind of heard the same thing. And Earth was mentioning this yesterday with us. You know, they feel good about where the team's at. And if they can add one or two more guys, or at least one yeah. more guy up front, then maybe they feel like they can really be onto something here, you know? Yeah. And so I think it's certainly on the radar for them. It's just a question of what's the, the, the degree of player you're getting? Is it a higher end guy? And, and the thing is, like, you can look at many different ways of approaching this. Yeah. And I do think they're open to a, a number of different scenarios here when it comes to what they might do and i do think ideally they'd like to add a needle mover the, the question just is look around the league how many needle movers could be available and could you pry open like i was propositioning you guys uh about tomas hurdle yeah <laughs> he signed until the end of days yeah i was like i mean tomas hurdle for instance i mean if you're looking at you know players with term like he's 30 years old yeah no thank you and that's kind of your response, you know? Yeah. It's like, these are the options you kind of look at, and you're like, okay, this guy might be available, but would you want to go down this road anyways? Even a lot of the top rentals, they're all on really good teams. Yeah. If there's not a ton of the, <laughs> hey, this great-looking rental is on a bottom feeder team right now. Like, Chicago doesn't have anybody like that. Montreal doesn't have anybody all that intriguing. Ottawa and... Uh, Buffalo, Detroit, they, like a lot of the guys that are interesting on those teams, they've got term or they're RFAs. You know, they're not, there isn't a ton of 
like very obvious unrestricted free agents that are coming available yeah. that are playing super well, at least up front. You know, maybe Vladimir Tarasenko scored a couple uh, last no, night. No, man, I'm not a Tarasenko. No. <laughs> It's like Vanek almost. I'm like, yeah. no, no, no. Somebody texted in, uh, maybe has a direct line to my spreadsheets. Tommy Novak, oh. 800K, one more year. UFA at the end of the year, though, 26. Big body, can play center, win some draws, can is, score a little bit. Is Nashville going to ask for the Tanner Janot price on Tommy Novak? Because I don't they know might. if I'd, I'd be interested in that. Yeah, no. And he's only, I mean, he's going to be UFA, though, so it's not quite the same, yeah. right? As with Janot, who had a bit more control. But, and he's not quite as physical as Janot is. But he's a guy that I'm sure if they're moving, they want something valuable back in return. Yeah. He's a UFA, but I'm, I'm big on Novak. I think Novak's one of the more realistic guys to look at because he's UFA. Yeah. And the oh, salary. The salary's eight hundred K, which you can easily fit in. And is Nashville going to keep him long term or not? They have a new GM in place yeah, too, yeah. right? Um and this one here on the Dunbar Lumber Text inbox, six fifty, six fifty. This conversation is brought to you by Put Colson. Mm. I love Put Colson, right? Internal options are, are there for the Canucks. But I think Podkolzin's at a spot where they just wanted to get his confidence back. And if he gets a look, is he getting a look right away in your top six and you're asking him to go and be the guy with JT and Besser? Or come and get your feet wet and, and find your way again? Yeah. You can't ask for the moon all of a sudden from a guy who's just trying to find his game. You know, it's, he's, he's skipping a lot of steps going from Abbotsford to all of a yeah. sudden being the solution in your top six. Maybe next year, maybe beyond that, yes. But this year, it's he's just getting about the whole yeah. treatment this yeah. year. Where. It's going to take something uh, truly special from Pod Colson to get the call up right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jim Rutherford has said as much himself. Like they just want him to to play games in Abbotsford and build up his confidence again. Archdeep Baines probably around the same thing. Linus Carlson got the call up. He's not too far back of Archdeep Baines in terms of uh, point production with the Abbotsford Canucks. He's a little bit of an older prospect and. Might be sort of in that range as we've talked about where he's kind of deciding if he wants to keep trying to to make the NHL or mm-hmm. can I just go back to Sweden and play at the top level there and make a little bit of money? Yeah. You know, so he's really um as we've seen, the first call up option from Abbotsford so far this year. And he might get a bit of a look as uh, they get some games in for the rest of of this road trip. It's Dan Richo, Satyar Shah. Keep the texts coming in. We've got overrated, underrated coming up as well. Plus, Kevin Woodley joins us next on Canuck Central. Hitting the most important topics for Vancouver sports fans. The People's Show with Vic Nazar. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Back into the Kintec studio, it's Dan Richo and Satyar Shah. As we do every Wednesday, we uh, get a little nerdy about goalies with our goalie guru. It is Kevin Woodley, and he is a presentation of White Rock Hyundai. Thanks for this, Woodley. Uh, Happy New Year. How are you? Happy New Year. I'm good. I'm ready to to be a nerd. I'm ready to geek out. (laughs) So, um... I thought what was kind of interesting about last night's game uh, is just how perturbed um, Rick Tockett seemed after the game, even though they won, they won six, three. It, it really is a sign of how much the, uh, 
how much this team has changed, how the standards have really changed. It's like, yeah, I, we, great first period, but then we stunk for the final 40 minutes. And he wasn't wrong about the assessment. It's just, it's funny how things change like that. Like, you can't even just be happy with a win these days. No, I mean, that's, that's a good thing, right? Like, and he was right. Like, I think, I can't remember the exact quote I put it in my story, but like, Thatcher Demko had to work too hard, right? Yeah. Like, and that's, you know, it wasn't just the shot total. Um, but in the end, there were some great A's. And if not for a couple of really good saves, highlight reel type saves, you know, that gets to 5-4. Like, that becomes an interesting game. And so when you're up 5 nothing, as much as it's – that's got to be a tough game to play. Um, you probably don't want to be leaning on, you know, your Vesna candidate goaltender to be stopping bullets in his teeth a couple times in the third period to keep it there. Like, that's the job. That's what he does. But there was a lot of lot of workload and a lot of lateral explosive movement required um, from Thatcher Demko, especially in the third period there, to keep that from getting a lot more nerve-wracking than it should have been. And I think that's kind of been one of the big, uh, I'd say, stories about this Canucks team throughout this entire year has been what the environment has looked like. And as we're heading into 2024, and where are we trying to see where this team projects? Do you see some staying power here in terms of this team being able to sustain a clean, good, solid environment for his goalies the rest of the way? Yeah, everything but the PK. Like in zone two, right? Like they're in the, they're in the bottom third uh, in terms of defending. But what they're not doing is giving up rush chances, uh, especially the high danger stuff. And that's really sort of stabilized them as a top five team overall. Uh, when it comes to high danger chances again. And I've talked about this many times in the past. When you start doing playoff previews and prognosticating, like that's the number I look at. Five on five high danger chances against. That's what wins in the postseason. Um, it's not it's not an absolute, but the tendency is if you're the better team in that regard going into a playoff series, you tend to be the one that comes out on top. And so for a team that has been near the bottom of the league in that metric for so long, uh, to be at the top of it, and again, not just this season, but since Rick Talk had arrived. Uh, they, they sort of started this last year. My question was whether they could continue it, and they have. And so for all the questions we have about sustainability on the offense, defensively, as long as everybody remains healthy and the way Talkett has them committed to playing, and it's not just five-man unit and you know coming back hard and, and being in the right spots and predictability, those all matter. But it's not, it's not taking chances at the offensive end. You've heard him talk about diving in on plays and getting caught pinching. You, you've heard him you know, talk about making high-risk plays at the wrong time at the blue line. There's all the things we got used to seeing this team do, frankly, all the things the Ottawa Senators continue to do, uh, and that was on display last night, uh, they, they've really seemed to have stripped those types of mistakes out of their game. And so that part, 100%, I believe, is sustainable. And when you have good goaltending behind it, that, that's a pretty good recipe. So as long as everybody stays healthy, you know, I, think, I think it's fair to say that he has their attention. They know how they have to play. And the fact that it wasn't just him that wasn't happy with how that game ended, that it was players as well talking about you know, not just focusing on the win and the, and the five goals they scored in the first, but how some of their play eroded after that, like that matters. There's buy-in and they're holding each other accountable. Can it continue in the second half? We'll see. But, you know, we're almost halfway through a season and it's been pretty consistent from this group. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the you mentioned the quote from from Tockett last night. And I think it was we, we don't want to have our goalie go post to post uh, or, or something along those lines. You don't often hear a, a coach 
uh, speak like that. At least uh, I haven't really heard it all that that often. You know, it's it's one of those things that's kind of understood, but it's still not talked about. You usually just hear about how great the goalie is uh, most nights. And I think that's that level of uh, awareness, that level of openness is kind of what the defense has been all about. Like, yeah, we know we've got a great goalie, but no goalie can be that superhuman that they're going to make those saves often enough if we continue to give up those chances. And so when you look at Demko's numbers and you look at him as the favorite for the Vesna by a lot of the betting odds, it's like, well, he's playing amazing, but it's it's so much about how they've really limited those those cross-ice chances for their goalies, not just Demko, but also Casey DeSmith. Well, and this, I mean, this goes back to the conversation last year, right? And like watching what happened last year has really sort of altered some of my opinions on you know, how much we can look at the numbers and what happens when you fall into that bottom third, bottom five teams of the league. Um, and, and just when a defensive environment gets that poor, right? Like it goes back to the, all the conversations we heard out of Edmonton at the start of this season. Yeah, the Oilers suck defensively, but where would they be if they had Thatcher Demko? Uh, and I'm like, they'd be where they are because look what happened when Thatcher Demko played behind a team that gave up odd man rushes like that. Like there is only so much a goaltender can do. And yeah, hey, listen, like, short angle shot from below the goal line that squeaks through Anton Forsberg, and then he kicks it right onto Patterson's stick on the other side last night. Like, that's a tough look, and, and goaltending plays a role in it. You know, uh, this, the, the little um, flip from the blue line that bounces over Corpusalo's glove. Like, those are tough looks. But at the end of the day, the Ottawa Senators are the 30th-ranked team defensively. And so asking your goaltenders to, to, to sort of sustain any consistency behind that is really tough. And so... Um, they have to go hand in hand, right? And it, it sort of is for, for the Canucks right now. Like Demko's still leading the league in goals saved above expected when I look at the clear sight numbers, but a lot of that was built on the start of the season. He's just kind of hovered above expected for the last month or so. There's some guys that have, that have, that have caught up, like Jacob Markstrom's less than a goal behind, um, despite missing all that time with a broken finger. Linus Allmark's less than a goal behind despite the fact he's in far more of a job share and has seen like, you know, 160 fewer shots this year or chances based on clear sight numbers. Ilya Sorokin's catching up. So um, I think for now, the, the key here is to sort of, I don't want to say how can you get Thatcher back to the level he was at the beginning of the season because I was the first one to say that level he was playing at wasn't sustainable. Like that was a heater of heaters. Um, but making sure that you know, he's consistently hovering around, you know, plus 2%, which is where he is for the season right now. Like, everything for this last half is about setting yourself up to make sure you have a healthy, rested, and primed and ready to go Thatcher Demko come playoff time. And to be able to do that, uh, you have to lean on your backup goaltender. And the Canucks have done that with Casey the Smith. And, and just overall, their approach in terms of getting him a start before the break, they thought it was important. They thought it was more important for him to get a start in instead of, you know, keeping uh, Thatcher Demko going and, and not avoiding that nine-day break that he had. What does that tell us about the confidence they have in him and also the plan to ensure that they can lean on that backup the rest of the season? Well, they go hand-in-hand, hand, right? Like, you have to have confidence in the guy if you're going to... I remember remember back to the, the Jacob Barkstrom days when Anders Nelson was really struggling with his game here. And so they were playing the wheels off Markstrom because I think there was a stretch where Nelson hadn't posted a win in a couple of months. But eventually, it's just diminishing returns. Like, the guy's worn out. 
his technique slipped because he hasn't had time to work on his game because all he's worrying about is resting his body and having enough energy to get through the next night so he doesn't have energy to be out early before practice working with Ian Clark. And so they would get to the point where it's like, okay, like we can't keep doing this, and they'd give Markstrom a couple off so that he could reset. And even though they knew that, hey, Anders Nilsson hasn't won in a long time. The beauty is with Casey DeSmith, it's easy to make that decision because of how well he's playing, right? And, I mean, since December 1st, if, you know, if I filter from December 1st on in terms of goaltending performances, I did this earlier, and, and now I can't remember what I came up with, so we're going to do a little math on the radio here. That's always a positive. Like, he's like one of the top goalies in the league since December 1st. Yeah, Casey DeSmith, plus 3.8%. Only Markstrom, Marc-Andre Fleury, are ahead of him in that stretch. So it gives you the confidence. And, hey, again, the caveat, very high expected save percentage in there. Mm-hmm. Like, they've defended. And that's that's what you want for a backup. You want a guy that works his ass off in practice, that takes all the extra shots, that is always there when his teammates need him, so that when he needs them and it's time for him to get a start, they're willing to go to the wall for him. And Casey DeSmith has been that guy. They are defending well in front of him, and he's delivering behind them. So um, not to the point where, for those in my mentions saying they should start him ahead of Thatcher Demko, again, the adjusted numbers relative to that positive environment aren't as flattering as Demko's are. But at the end of the day, since December 1st, they are some of the best, and you have the faith to keep going back to him so that you can get the best of both worlds, still pile up wins, Know you have a great plan B, and that's the other part. Dismiss done this not just once every two weeks. He can do it for two weeks straight. So, you know, if there's a nick here or there, you know you have faith that you can run him out there as a number one over a short period of time. It really is the best of both worlds for them right now. And a credit to Casey DeSmith for coming in uh, and willing to change a few things under Ian Clark. A credit to Ian Clark for not trying to reinvent the wheel on all things with Casey DeSmith because there were a lot of people who knew his game and knew his preferences that didn't think this was going to fit. That's what they told me coming in. So everybody deserves credit for how this is going, including talking, including the, the way the players are playing in front of them. It really is like a lot of other things for the Vancouver Canucks in the first half of the season, a perfect scenario in terms of how their crease is panning out. It's funny how we've we've seen that from a lot of teams that, that have uh, made coaching changes this year. Maybe not so much for the team we saw here in Vancouver last night. Jacques Martin still still working on that with his with his Ottawa Senators, but like there there seems to have been a collective defensive bump for the Minnesotas and the Edmontons and, and the other teams that have made coaching changes this year. It's almost just like guys need to re-engage, get the new message and and get back to some of the basics, the foundations of what makes good defensive hockey. Yeah, and it's interesting, right? Because it's a lot of times it's hard work and it's not as fun and it's it, you know, hey, yeah. it was pretty fun under Bruce Boudreaux, right? Like Yeah. Firewagon hockey, just go, go, go. Um, the other way isn't as fun. The other way requires a little more work. And if it's the same voice over a long period of time, you know, maybe maybe you start to tune that out. And so, so we see these bumps. We see these changes. I think in Vancouver, and I think it has to become this way in, in Ottawa, and I'm curious to see how it goes because the problems are the same. Young, talented players that just, you know, Jacques Martin said it yesterday when I asked him this question after the morning skate, and he reiterated it, re- reiterated it again last night. Like, these guys have to decide if they want to play the right way and be willing to do it on a night-to-night basis. Talkett's got that buy-in here. There's been a lot of teaching. You know, there's a lot of young guys here that maybe never got, either didn't get or pay attention to that message under Travis Green or just weren't ready to, to, to do that type of work 
when he was here um, that are buying in now, listening to the little details that they need to have in their game to have success. Some of that is also credit to Alvin and Rutherford for, for bringing in other guys who have that as part of their DNA when you think of the Bluegers and the Suiters uh, and even the Sam Lafferty's of the world, right? So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, that coaching bump, we saw Boudreaux have a coaching bump, but it wasn't for those reasons. You can't, in today's NHL, just get away with skill and talent. Look at Buffalo. They continue to try and do it. Um, it just doesn't work. You have to have some of that defensive identity in your game. Uh, there's just too much parity. There's not enough teams that are enough of an offensive juggernaut to just go out and play fire wagon hockey and, and expect to have any success. So um, it's the hardest thing to sort of get out of young players in a league that's increasingly skewing young. And and as you pointed out, sometimes it takes a new voice at a different time to sort of drive that message home. I'd be curious, and we'll never know, like in some ways, as much as it costs them a season, bringing back Boudreaux, made it easier for Tockett to sell his message. Like, if you had made the coaching change in the offseason after the Boudreaux bump and everything was so positive, would this team have been as willing to buy into the message and the need for this defensive identity as they were after they fell flat on their face trying to play the same way for a second season under Boudreaux? It's an interesting question, and I think – a lot of this is reflected in other teams around the league when they make these decisions. Yeah, no, I think that's a, that's a really good point, and it's something that that I've wondered as well, just in terms of like, it, was it the worst thing to let things get off the rails the way they did? To Almost do... like they really needed to hit rock bottom. And also, maybe? and and like at, at that point, like you you got to see everybody. You saw yeah. everybody for what they were. Yeah. You got a real view <laughs> of like what, what you wanted to see about everybody, right? So so maybe it worked well, out. And the year before, they had success doing yeah. this way, right? Mm-hmm. So hey, like. Maybe our goalie can be otherworldly for an entire season and we can play this way and it's fun and we can win. But increasingly around the league, despite all the focus on offense, it just doesn't work. No, no, I'm with you. I'm with you on it. Like, and I, I think it's it's really fascinating to watch this team do that. Now, the opponent they have on Thursday is a team that caught that lightning in, in, in a bottle back in 2018. What, 2017, 2018? Uh, yeah, when they won the 2019. Stanley 2019, there we go. When they won the Stanley Cup. And since then, they're trying to recreate that. And it hasn't really worked out. And the guy that brought that success was Jordan Binnington. And it's funny that, uh, you know, we were talking about Binnington. And he's been a big topic, obviously, with Canucks fans and everything over the years. But... Is he one of the one of the top guys that comes to mind in terms of the top net Canadian netminder? Because we were having this discussion about uh, you know the strength of Canadian goalies, especially at the World Juniors, and you're trying to project who the starter is going to be for the next Olympics potentially or the best on best tournament. And is Jordan Bennington, Bennington still a guy we have to look at and say could be one of the better Canadian goalies? Yeah, I would have said a month ago I would have said he'd be the guy, right? Mm-hmm. Like he he got off to a torrid start this year, and and again, you know, we talk about cum- the cumulative effect. I gotta stop using big words because I can't get them out today. <laughs> the cumulative effect of poor defense, and you know their their numbers were not flattering in St. Louis this year. And again, another team that's made a coaching change. Um, but Bennington was bailing them out. Like he was not just posting, um, you know, numbers that that would have him can you know as a part of a best on best for Canada. Like he was not far off you know Demko in the conversation for best goalies in the league at the start of the season. But that's kind of Again, cumulative effect for a team that ranks in the not just the bottom third, but the bottom three in rush chances against high danger, five-on-five chances against high danger. The only thing they do well is kill penalties. Everything else is a disaster defensively. You just can't keep it up. 
And so it has fallen off for him of late. Joel Hofer's actually played really well. Um, you know, speaking of Canadian goaltenders and a guy that uh, that won a world world uh, junior gold medal, a guy that might not have even been on the world junior gold or on that world junior team for Canada, if not for an, a should I say discussion or argument had uh, behind the scenes that I was a part of when I was doing some things with Hockey Canada, and you know he's kind of taken over. Bennington's still in that conversation. I think Carter Hart's worked his way back into it as well. He's quietly having, you know, much like the Flyers, he's having a tough to say after after a night where McDavid torches him, but he's having a really good season as well. But it's, you know, honestly, beyond that, it's a pretty short list right now. Yeah, and uh, maybe uh, Aiden Hill and uh, Tristan Jari get into that conversation, but it's, you know, Canada's not really there with uh, some of the, uh, well, at least what the Americans have on offer. Uh, for Americans, Russians, Finns, Swedes, yeah. like everybody but Canada, it seems right now. Well, at least we got Connor McDavid and, and Connor Bedard, <laughs> so, and Nathan McKinnon, and, you know, that, 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 that'll that be all right. Uh, so uh, I wanted to get your take because there, there seems to be a lot of discussion around the goalie trade market right now and uh, maybe Montreal trying to hold teams hostage for one of their goaltenders and, and ask for a, a huge price. There, there seems to be a lot of teams looking to add a goaltender and maybe there's a huge focus on this because the Toronto Maple Leafs are looking to add a goaltender, but who is the guy or are there guys out there for you that, that makes sense for teams for goalie needy teams right now? Yeah, I mean, I guess the question is, like, you know, how long, like, what the availability is. Right now, obviously, I can't answer that. Yeah. Because um, they don't know, you know, I mean, Montreal's been carrying three uh, for most of the year. And, you know, the reality is Caden Primo, Sam Montembeau, who they've re-upped for, for on an extension, and Jake Allen are all, all sort of hovering in the mid-30s in terms of performance relative to environment on the season. And the environment isn't terrible there. It's right around their expected save percentages are right around league average and they're just slightly above it. And it's like, so if you're holding like Jake Allen brings the experience 100% uh, and he, and he's, and he's gone on runs before and he's capable of playing at a really high level over periods of time. But, you know, it's fascinating to me that that's, you know, what you're, you, you know, you're holding hostage over that. Um, teams may be interested in Caden Primo, but, you know, there's little in terms of experience to suggest you're plugging him in and he's leading you to a Stanley Cup, right? Like even Aiden Hill had more experience than Caden Primo, even though he has pedigree. So, you know, I, I was surprised a little bit. Actually, no, I wasn't surprised. I shouldn't be surprised. You know, there are teams where I look at the depth chart and I know people are going to be like, you're an idiot. He had an 863 save percentage. No way he was an upgrade. Eric Comrie was better than a lot of goalies that are in the NHL right now. Just that nobody can see it because he has an 863 save percentage because his expected save percentage is 850 this season with the Buffalo oh. Sabres. Like, they fed him every crap sandwich start you could imagine. Every night they knew they were going to get blown out, it seems. They protected the kids and they fed him Comrie. And the team capitulated. That's not to say, like, that he couldn't be better. He was slightly below expected. I was amazed. The last two seasons, nobody's had a tougher defensive environment than him. He managed for for a good chunk of this year to stay above it, dip below it with his last last I think it was his last appearance dropped him to point five below expected, but eight fifty guys. So yeah. um sometimes I don't know what teams are looking for. Like I said, it's a hard sell to get a team to be like, hey, this guy's gonna come and be our savior and he's got an eight sixty three. 
But there, there are some teams around the league that need goaltending help that I think he's better than what they have sitting on the bench right now. And I'm a little biased. I've known Eric for years, and he's one of the best guys in the league, and I've watched him develop. Um, but the number's back at two. So, yeah, I, I, you know, there's other guys out there. Uh, would Marc-Andre Fleury move? Yeah. You know, I mentioned the guys that have been the best since December 1st for all the focus on his 1,000 games. and He's got a raw 892, so everyone's like, I, I named him the unmasked goalie of the year for my column at NHL.com. And, you know, when a guy's got an 892 save percentage, there's going to be pushback. Like, how do you call him the best, you know, the goalie of the year? It was for other reasons, not just performance, but relative to environment. He's been great since the coaching age. Like, really, really good. Um, but I, I just don't think enough people see through that. And so it's, you know, it's it, it's an interesting question. I don't, I don't know what the answers are. Are there got like, did Alex Lyon just sign a one-year deal in Detroit? Because there's a guy, if the Red Wings fall off and become sellers, there's a guy I'd go and target. Because he had success in Florida. He's doing it again in Detroit. Like, really good numbers relative to environment, season long. Um, you know, would, would Arizona move Connor Ingram, who's also had some success? Would Florida move Anthony Stolarz if Spencer Knight's willing or um, you know, ready to come back to the National Hockey League? Uh, those are the kind of names that I'm looking at in terms of their performance this year. Bigger ticket, Elvis Merz-Lickens can be a little all over the place, but he's also playing at a level that's you know just enough above expected to intrigue people if you can get past the contract. So every situation is different in terms of who can fit him and what the cost would be to acquire them. But it is funny to me that Montreal seems to be holding all the cards and then I see teams with needs allow Eric Comrie to slip their waivers unchecked. Yeah, it, it is an interesting one. And I, I am old enough to remember when you recommended Scott Wedgwood as a guy. And uh, look at how good he's been for the, the Dallas Stars uh, this year, especially with uh, Jake Ottinger off, uh, off uh, on the injured list. Uh, Woodley, you're the best. Thanks for this as always. And uh, Happy New Year again. Thanks, guys. Uh, there is Kevin Woodley. Our Wednesday goalie guru, you can find his work at NHL.com and, of course, In Goal Magazine and Kevin Woodley on Sports at 650 was brought to you by White Rock Hyundai. Visit the showroom on King George in White Rock or whiterockhyundai.com. Coming up, overrated or underrated here on Canuck Central.